So far this summer, cities across Texas have set records for the number of consecutive days with high temperatures above 100 degrees. In Houston, it was 15 days. In the Dallas area, where I live, it was 21. And in Austin, the streak eclipsed 40 days. When global temperatures go up, which includes the water temperatures, I mean, it's one of the first things you think about, well, will this make hurricanes worse? Let's find out. We're right in the middle of peak hurricane season in Texas. From mid-August to mid-September is kind of like the prime time. But once you get past that, it does tend to be pretty rare to see hurricanes along the Texas coast. I'm Chris Blake, and Texas wants to know, how will our hot summer affect hurricane season? Before we get to the hurricanes, let's start with the heat. Why has it been so hot in Texas this summer? Well, uh, we have an upper level ridge of high pressure overhead, and typically that happens every summer, but it fluctuates. It goes to the west, to the desert southwest, and then it shifts over us again, and then it goes into the eastern parts of the United States. That's Dan Brunoff. He's the chief meteorologist at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Well, the atmospheric conditions haven't been favorable for this upper level ridge to shift off to the east, which would typically give us a little bit cooler temperatures, uh, a little more cloud cover and maybe some precipitation chances. So because it's been pretty much stuck over Texas and the desert southwest, kind of elongated, that's what's been responsible for the lack of rainfall with low soil moisture and a, a drought starts to get higher and worse and a drought kind of creates a drought. So shifting into hurricanes, how does temperature, if at all, impact the strength of a hurricane? Well, hurricanes form over water, okay? So they have to have water, and they have to have a heat source, and that's pretty much uh, how warm the water temperatures are. And right now, we're getting extremely high uh, water temperatures and seas. Well, really, it's almost record high, uh, especially across parts of the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean right now. So we have that in place. So that's one thing we need. We also need an area of low pressure that forms off of thunderstorm complexes, okay? And as these storms start to spin up, these, these uh, low pressure systems, so the most important factor that uh, these storms need, again, surface low and also a ridge of high pressure on top of it, plus warm ocean water. So the warm water is important for the formation of a hurricane. Oh, it fuels it. That's the fuel. Gotcha. Exactly. As of August 22nd, there had been seven named storms in the Atlantic. Those are Arlene, Brett, Cindy, Dawn, Emily, Franklin, and Gert. It's interesting in the Gulf right now, actually, they're going through a kind of major marine heat wave. Temperatures are some five degrees higher than normal in some places. That's Chelsea Harvey. She's a climate science reporter at E&E News. And so if those conditions last through the rest of the summer and into the fall, you might have some concerns about what your hurricane season is going to look like. But warmer water isn't the only element that's needed for a hurricane to take shape. There's a bit of a nuance to this, that you need hot water to form a hurricane. But I think the last couple of weeks are actually a good example that if it's hot in the atmosphere also, a little bit counterintuitively, it's actually not good for hurricanes. Because what you really need is a difference between how hot the surface is and how hot it is aloft, say three, five miles up. And right now it is hot from the ground all the way up. Rob Cordy is a professor of meteorology at Texas A&M. And that actually makes it really hard to form thunderstorms, which is why in Texas it has just been unrelenting and the, the drought is getting worse and it's just hot and sunny every day after day after day. 
warmer temperatures may prolong the peak season. So we might see October be very active due to the very warm ocean waters. We'll see. So the warmer temperatures not only help fuel them for longer, but it extends the season. It could, yes. And with El Nino now starting to ramp up in the Pacific, it's not the Atlantic, it's the Pacific out there well to the west of California and South America, that does impact the storms. And typically, uh, when we have an El Nino starting to ramp up, the hurricane season is usually below average on named storms. El Nino simply directly refers to what are the water temperatures in the eastern Pacific. And are they warmer or are they colder? And they, they tend to oscillate every six or seven years. When they are warmer in the eastern Pacific, as they are now, you have an El Nino. And you can usually see that several months in advance. You see it starting to build. And it's a very slow thing that you get kind of a long lead time to. Those years tend to be very inactive in the Atlantic. That begs the question, which element will have the greater impact? The fact that El Nino years are typically less active or warmer waters serving as fuel for hurricanes. I do worry as we get a little bit deeper and turn into September, this heat wave will eventually break. And the ocean, any water in physics, has what we call a high heat capacity, which basically means it retains a memory of temperature for a very long time. And so as the atmosphere starts to cool off in September, the ocean is still going to be quite hot. And that's when I would start to worry that all of this heat we've built up has sort of built a reservoir for conditions to be favorable in another month or so. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA, forecast a 30% chance for an above-average hurricane season in the first outlook issued in May. However, about two weeks ago, it increased the likelihood of a more active-than-average season to 60%. NOAA comes out with their forecast of how many named storms, how many of those named storms will be hurricanes, and how many of those hurricanes will be major hurricanes. That's a Cat 3 or higher when the wind gets above approximately 116 miles per hour, uh, they become major hurricanes. What determines whether a hurricane you know, goes up the Atlantic coast or gets around the southern edge of Florida and into the Gulf and ultimately approaches Texas? Is it just a matter of chance or are there specific things that factor into where they go. There's a lot of variables that come into play. Where does it form? At what latitude? You know, zero is the equator. And then typically hurricanes form between about 10 and 20 degrees latitude. They're off of the coast of Africa as we get into late August and September. And then the trade winds, they automatically move west. And until they can be influenced by a, a ridge of high pressure, which is called the Bermuda High that sits in the uh, west central parts of the Atlantic, that clockwise flow gives an east to west flow in the upper levels, and that storm just continues to track west, crossing into the Caribbean. And then in order it to, for it to go get pulled farther north out of the Caribbean into the Gulf of Mexico, typically uh, we need like the ridge of high pressure I talked about earlier and the upper levels to slide into the eastern United States when that hurricane's uh, coming into the western Gulf. Clockwise flow gives a southeasterly flow in the upper levels and that drags it right towards the Gulf coast. So it's a timing situation with cold fronts where the troughs are, where the peaks and valleys are in the upper levels uh, that determines, do they hit the East coast? Do they move out to sea or does the upper level Ridge uh, pull the storms through the Caribbean that's North of it 
and moving into the Gulf of Mexico towards Texas all the way to Florida. In the past 22 years, there's been 10 major hurricanes to hit the Gulf Coast. Of course, everyone's going to remember Harvey, right? And the other one was Ike. That was in 2008. Harvey was in 2017. Those are the two strongest ones that hit. And of course, there were eight more, but they didn't last long. They were cat threes. But again, they dissipated pretty quickly as they moved inland. What trends in the temperature have there been over the last two decades that coincide with these numbers? Well, yeah, we've been in a warming cycle here since the since 2000. Yeah, the, the temperatures globally have, have warmed significantly. And weather is cyclical. I mean, we go from ice ages to warm spells to ice ages to warm spells. We know a lot more, a lot faster now, okay? And so more pictures, more video, more talk that you can easily access about things. So we're educating people. And people know a lot more about what's going on with the weather and yeah, so since we've been pretty active in the hurricane season here over the past 20, 23 years or so, it's just a fact. Will it continue? I can't tell you. Uh, every year is different. But I know typically during El Nino years, ours is just ramping up now, uh, that typically the hurricane season is a little bit below average as far as named storms. When we're in a La Nina pattern, which where we've been in the past three years, Typically, the hurricane season is a little bit stronger in the Gulf of Mexico, Caribbean, and also into the open Atlantic basin. If air temperatures are getting progressively warmer, and the water is too, what does that mean for hurricanes as time moves on? Last fall, Harvey, the climate science reporter, wrote about a study that found even the weakest storms were strengthening. And it suggested that even relatively weak tropical cyclones, so that includes both tropical storms and Category 1 hurricanes, have gotten more intense over the last few decades. So uh, the study found that they've intensified by about 15% since the 1990s. So what that basically means is even if these storms are still on the lower end of the scale for hurricanes or for tropical cyclones, they're creeping into kind of the higher end of that category. We now have almost half century of pretty great global records, and the number of storms of average intensity has definitely gone up. Now, there's a compounding problem for that in the United States. The population on the coast has gone up dramatically in that 50 years also. So even if there were no change in the climatology of hurricanes, they were bound to be doing more damage because there's just more things to damage on infrastructure. There are two really big factors that are kind of interacting as far as hurricane damage goes. So on the one hand, hurricanes across the board are getting more intense because of climate change. So just the potential damage that they're able to cause is getting worse because they're just getting bigger and more destructive. And then on the other hand, we do have populations growing along the coastline. And so that just puts the total number of people in harm's way. Uh, it increases that number. And so when you have these two factors kind of colliding, it, it just really accelerates the amount of damage that these storms can cause. It's kind of hard to tease out, you know, one versus the other. Uh, we've got sort of the human behavior factor and then we've got the climate factor, but it is very safe to say that they both make a, a big difference. If waters are warming worldwide, how does what we get in the U.S., the Atlantic, the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico, compare to the rest of the world? So across most of the world, hurricanes are growing more intense, but the total number is not necessarily increasing. So the frequency of the hurricanes is not necessarily increasing, except when you look at the Atlantic, there actually has been a trend over the last few decades toward more frequent hurricanes as well as more intense hurricanes. And so, you know, why is that happening? Scientists think a big reason actually has to do with declining air pollution over the Atlantic. So beginning in the 1970s, the U.S. and Europe started making major strides to reduce air pollution. 
And so air pollution over the Atlantic started dropping. What's interesting is air pollution actually has a slight cooling effect on local air temperatures. It kind of dampens or masks some of the effects of human-caused global warming. And so when that air pollution started declining, then all of a sudden we had temperatures kind of shooting up faster because that sort of masking effect was dropping. So that sort of helped uh, warm the ocean waters faster than they would have otherwise. It kind of had this juicing effect on hurricane activity in the Atlantic. It's a little ironic that one human behavior might be increasing the intensity of the storms while another, which would seem like a good thing, could be increasing the frequency. Yeah, no, it is a, definitely an interesting effect. Maybe this is recency bias, but it feels like we're getting stronger storms over the last 15, 20 years or so. Is there any truth to that or is that just, you know, the most recent event sticking in our minds? So hurricanes themselves are growing more intense. Research has suggested that that's a trend that's already happening. If you're talking about landfalling storms, storms that actually hit the U.S. coast, for the time being, there are not strong trends in the strength of landfalling hurricanes. That said, there are some other kind of concerning trends regarding landfalling hurricanes in the U.S. So a study a few years ago found that tropical cyclones all over the world actually are slowing down. They're moving more slowly, which means they have potential to kind of dump more rain in one place, which can cause a lot more damage. And that study found that that slowing effect is true over land in North America. So that's kind of a cause for concern for U.S. communities. Another recent study also found that when hurricanes strike land, they are staying stronger for longer periods of time. And I guess a prime example of that would have been Hurricane Harvey that just sat on top of Houston for days. Yes, that is a really prime example of a, a slow moving, even a, a what they refer to as a stalled weather system, just sitting in one place, dumping rain, causing catastrophic flooding. As we look to how the warming temperatures will affect the strength and frequency of hurricanes in the future, Cordy reminds us that there doesn't have to be a lot of hurricanes for damage to be done. One of the worst natural disasters happened 30 years ago was Hurricane Andrew, which made landfall in South Florida in 1992. And until recently, it was one of the costliest disasters. I'm not sure in inflation adjusted dollars exactly where it ranks now. If you're keeping score at home, it's eighth, according to NOAA. Andrew was one of only six hurricanes that formed in the Atlantic that year, six tropical storms, actually. So it was one of the quietest years in the whole last 50 in the Atlantic. But it was, you know, particularly devastating for South Florida. It was just a reminder that a bad year is really a year that you have a hurricane. And and so you can, you know, a good year might, might have 25 storms floating out in the Atlantic. But if none of them made landfall, then you yeah. beat the odds. It only takes one. It only takes one. That's right. I'm Chris Blake at News Radio 1080 KRLD in Dallas, Fort Worth. Thanks for joining me for Texas Wants to Know. If you like the show, please give us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I wrote and produced this episode with editorial support from Cooper Mall, sound design by Mike Bass, and original music by Michael Eisenstein. Odyssey's managing producer for national news podcasts is Myron Kaplan.